reading with me. It's page 1161 in the service book, in the Bible rather, not the service book. Two Corinthians five, reading from verse fourteen. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, uh, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow worker, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Amen. I chose that passage because uh, it's the answer to the world's problems. This is a, a message that's specifically committed to Christian preachers to attempt to turn God's enemies into his friends. For a while I was a pastor in Northern Ireland and uh, at the height of the troubles and at a pastor's conference in Dublin that I attended during the troubles, uh, I met a young pastor from the Republic. He was a former IRA member who trusted Christ and turned away from violence and sectarianism. Both his hands had been blown off when he had been planting a bomb that exploded prematurely. And another pastor was at the conference. He was um, formerly an extreme, uh, a member of an extreme loyalist group uh, but he'd been led to Christ by a prison visitor uh, when serving a sentence for murder, a murder he'd committed in revenge for the murder of his father. And on his release, after 10 years inside, 
he studied at the Irish Baptist College and became a pastor. Now I saw these two men, former fierce enemies, embrace in brotherly love. It was a moving proof of Christ's power to bring about reconciliation and peace. And that's where we're going this morning. You'd recognize it in the reading. The word reconciliation in one form or another occurred four times. May and I visited Coventry Cathedral uh, just a few weeks ago. And during World War II, Coventry was blitzed with German bombs and over 600 people were killed in one raid. And the old cathedral was uh, virtually destroyed and half the city was left in ruins. A regular service is held there every day. The, the cathedral sort of has an evangelical tradition. Uh, the service is called the Litany of Reconciliation. Um, a service of prayers and responses on the theme of reconciliation. Um, and it's the present mark of the cathedral's ministry. You'll see a bronze as you go around the cathedral of two people embracing in reconciliation. Now forgive the personal reference now, but I, I was born just before war was declared. In case you're wondering, it was the Second World War. Um, within a few months uh, of being born, my father was enlisted in the border regiment to serve in the Middle East. I saw him once in the next seven years. I saw him in 1942 when I was three. Uh, he was granted compassionate leave for the fact that my brother had been killed. He was absent from home for the duration of the war and until he was demobbed. So I have memories of bombs and devastation and air raid sirens and searchlights and barrage balloons, ration books, shortage of everything, extreme poverty, um, and no father around. Some to ask this question, why do the nations rage? Why is there so much war? Jesus said in Matthew 24, Nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And so it has been. History is peppered with myriad wars. 2014, we've seen conflicts in Syria, Ukraine, Iraq, Sudan, Nigeria, Somalia, Mali, Kenya, and so on. A great long list. Now what's the root cause of wars? The Bible describes a world war. Every nation united against one common enemy. And who is the common enemy? God. 1 John 5.19 says, The whole world is under the control of the evil one. Humanity is at war with its creator. Romans 8.7 The mind governed by human nature is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those in the realm of human nature cannot please God. God and people are estranged, alienated, and we are the aggressors. Psalm 2, 
again, this is confirmed what I've just been saying. The nations conspire and plot. The rulers of the earth band together, united against the Lord and his Christ, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles, the shackles of God. Psalm 14 alludes to people who choose to ignore God, even to deny his existence, which is to God hostility. To deny what they know in their hearts to be true. Willing to suppress the truth, they are therefore without excuse. Let me read Psalm 14, just a few verses. Whoever says in his heart there is no God is a fool. The Lord looks down from heaven on all humanity to see if there is any who understand, who seek after God. All have turned away and become corrupt. They never call on the Lord. In other words, we never take the initiative to be friends with God. God looked down and saw all this. God looked down once, once more in history. In Genesis 6, the Lord looked down and saw how great human wickedness had become on the earth. Every inclination of the thoughts of human hearts are only evil all the time. A situation that was so grievous to God, he made a, a great decision. The human race I have created, I will wipe from the face of the earth. All people have become corrupt. Now, the question, I want to answer one or two questions this morning. First question, is there any hope of reconciliation between man and his maker? Well, Act 17.30 tells us where to begin. God commands all people everywhere in all generations to undergo a change in their thinking. The word bears that, carries that meaning. To undergo a change in their thinking. For he has set a day when he will judge the whole world with justice by the man whom he has appointed Christ Jesus and given proof that he will do this by raising him from the dead. Couldn't be plainer. Now facing this universal uh, problem of human alienation, God took the initiative because we never would. He made the first move. Isaiah, we read from chapter 2, Here's something from chapter 1. God says, come now, let's settle this matter. Let's talk this thing over. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be like wool. That's an appeal for reconciliation from God. Human sin is the issue, but God desires reconciliation. We can say to a sinful world, God has provided a mediator to bring the two sides together. First Timothy 2.5, there is only one mediator between God and mankind. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus Christ is the friend of sinners. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered 
Calvary, of course, suffered once for your sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you back to God. Uh, verse 14 of our reading reveals how Paul viewed Jesus' crucifixion and he, he explains it. In verse 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, people's sins against them. It's 61 years this week since I became a Christian. And one of the first choruses, there were lots of them around at the time, choruses in those days. Uh, There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is opened and you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Never forgotten that. It's a sermon. It's a gospel message in song. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. All for whom Jesus died, died in him. He died for them that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again from the dead. He died to effect a radical change in you and me. Now verse 16 is the root of the problem. How is Christ to be regarded? That's the next question. That we read here, we once regarded Christ from a worldly point of view. We do so no longer. The writer has made a judgment about Christ, dismissed him and persecuted his followers. People today, and there are some here this morning, who still misjudge Christ. There was a time when I did. Saul of Tarsus, as he, Paul was in his unconverted days, said, I was formerly a blasphemer. Tells this to Timothy. I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor, an arrogant and violent man, the worst of sinners. Out of ignorance I acted in unbelief. But he changed his attitude. And he saw Christ and Calvary in a new light. And he puts it in a lovely way in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 16. It pleased God to reveal his son in me. He depended on a gracious divine revelation. God took the initiative and revealed to Saul of Tarsus the importance of his son. Isaiah 53 speaks prophetically of opinions people would have when Christ would come into the world. They would ignore him, despise him, reject him, afford him no esteem. Uh, They would see him as a blasphemer, a troublemaker, a deceiver, and a fraud. Now that's all based on uninformed human considerations. Saul hated Jesus Christ. And his followers he also hated. So he did all he could to hurt them and to rid the world of Christians. As they tried to do in Syria just now, some of them. Trying to rid the land of Christians. Saul of Tarsus declared war on Christians. 
he was gleeful that their Jesus had been crucified. It was what he deserved. He consented to the death of the first Christian martyr, a lovely saint, Stephen. Jesus cared how people thought of him. Not for his own good, but for theirs. Who do people say I am? I could ask, who do people say Tom Lawson is? Don't think I'll risk it. What people think or say about us doesn't matter a fig. It might be better that you don't know. It matters what we think of Christ. Truthful thoughts of him transform human lives. In Matthew twenty-two forty-two, the question again, What do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? Our answer determines uh, our eternal future. Some readily replied, He's the son of David. Others, of course, said he's the son of Joseph. Well, he's the son of David, true, according to human descent. But then the conundrum. David called Jesus Lord. If David calls Jesus Lord, how then can he be his son? Now that question is addressed to all in the church here this morning. What do you think about Christ, whose son is he? God the Father addresses that question to us and he insists on you giving an answer. There is no escape. If Jesus Christ is not the eternal son of God, then he's a liar. A self-deluded megalomaniac. That sounds harsh, but that's the only conclusion you would reach. Uh, whose foolish, wild claims nullify whatever good things can be said about him. How do you regard Christ this morning? The Christian preacher strives for a Saul-like change of mind. And this passage commits us to that. Paul says, I was a blasphemer when I was Saul. How can a religious man like him, a fanatically religious man, be a blasphemer? Well, he did not recognize Jesus for who he was. He was... And he is God in human flesh. Um, remember that when you take his name in vain. We make evaluations of each other and people made evaluations of Jesus. And we get it all wrong sometimes. So Paul's view as Saul, his views were revised. And there came a no longer in his spirit. I once saw Christ this way. But no longer. No longer. He'd been so wrong about Jesus. Uh, and he was now convinced that he was who he claimed to be. And further than that, Saul of Tarsus realized that he was the object of Christ's love. 
in the plan of God, Christ's death had personal relevance for him and he saw it at last. Jesus died the innocent for the guilty to establish peace with God for callous, cruel Saul of Tarsus with the purpose of reconciling him to God. On the Damascus road, he was hell-bent on further murderous violence against the church. But then events took a dramatic turn. Jesus took the initiative, confronted this religious, vengeful, extremist fanatic. To discover someone loves you, whom you have long hated, I suggest is a powerful incentive to revise your opinions of them. When you realize that your enemy desires your friendship, willing to forgive the harm that you've done to him, and wanting to do you much good, Saul saw all that, and he accepted Jesus loved him having suffered and laid down his life for him, and now even seeking him out. Saul renamed Paul, became a Christian, and wrote these words, The God of Israel did not spare his only son, but gave him up for us. God loved, God gave. God loved, so God gave. And that's how love operates. Um, and now he says in verse 14, the love of Christ compelled and propelled him. He's governed by the love he has for Christ and the love Christ has for him. <clears throat> on a Sunday morning, there's a program some of you might listen to, but on 10 to 9, point of, points of view, point of view. Uh, a few years ago, I, I, I used to enjoy listening to Clive James. Uh, nice guy. Um, uh, he's terminally ill, sadly, and that, that, that's that's a great bit. Gifted broadcaster, writer, wit. He's uh, a very interesting character. And he gave this talk on the Lord Jesus Christ coming up to Christmas. And I tell you, it was so encouraging to hear him say these wonderful things about the Lord. What a special man he was and how much good he'd done in the world and how he changed things. But he stopped short of saying he was the son of God. Couldn't go that far. At the time of the festival, I was walking along George Street and I saw Clive James. I was tempted to go and say to him, thank you, Clive. But I didn't feel it right to intrude on his privacy. He was having a coffee outside. Some, yeah. I wanted to say, oh, Clive. He's so much more than a good man. He's so much more than a good man. Um, two weeks ago, Paul, Paul Reese was preaching here and he told us about the lady in the Sandringham shop who saw an old woman complete with head square browsing around. And the lady went up to this old lady and said, You look remarkably like the queen. Well, that's very reassuring, I will say. Was the queen, it was the queen. Was that damning her with faint praise when she might have said, I don't believe you're the queen. 
I just believe you're a lovely old lady. That's not enough to say that of the queen. Have you regarded Christ, not with hatred, but as a really nice religious man who did a lot of good in the world and we admire him? Is that enough? Have you thought to yourself, it doesn't really matter much what I think about him? Well, it does. God's going to ask you one day, what did you make of my son? Regarding him as less than the eternal son of the living God, co-creator of the universe, and only savior of the world, before whom we all must one day give an account, if you believe any less than that, you're an unbeliever. I love Hebrews 1 that tells us so much about the Lord Jesus. God has spoken to us in his Son. He's heir of all things through whom he made the universe. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's being. He sustains all things in the universe by his powerful word and he provided purification for our sins and he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in the heavens don't call him just a good man that's what he is God says God the Father says to the angels let all my angels worship him and God the Father says to God the Son, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is. You see, there's been a change in the thinking of all who are in Christ and reconciled. To his disciples he said, I have called you friends. They are no longer in a position where they were before. Their eyes have been opened and they became new creatures in Christ Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Um, Jesus uh, had been judged by Saul in the past. His opinions were flawed, false, careless and superficial but there was a resulting there was a change of mind resulting in a deeper change in his life when Saul put his faith in Christ on his way to Damascus violence and hostility and hatred were instantly taken out of his heart and he came to enjoy peace with God and to know the peace of God that passes all understanding and he wrote more than half the New Testament after that. He was miraculously transformed, the evil Saul of Tarsus. Now imagine with me, if Kaiser Bill, Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, Joseph Stalin 
Pol Pot or Kim Il-sung had had that experience of Christ. There wouldn't have been a first world war and there wouldn't have been a second world war. Verse 16, from now on we regard no one, we evaluate no one by external human worldly standards. From a worldly point of view, from now on we'll judge spiritually minded. For soldiers who gave their lives in World War One and Two, we express our gratitude today. They neither knew your name nor mine. They were unaware of our existence. In comparison to that, I hear the Lord Jesus Christ say to me, Tom Lawson, I had you in mind when I faced so much hostility, so much rejection, so much insult and injury, when I suffered the agonies of Gethsemane, when I gave my back to be scourged, when the nails were slowly driven through my hands and my feet, when I was forsaken by my father, bearing the sin of the world, when I surrendered my life on the cross, I had you in mind. And that's literally true. And that knowledge has often reduced me to tears. In the communion service, Jesus is saying, don't forget what I've done for you. Do this. Remember, I gave my body for you. I gave my blood for you. Even while we were sinners, while we were at war with him, he died for us. He loved me, says Paul, and gave himself for me. And so I give thanks. Duty and love of country are worthy, noble motives, inspiring many men. And we've heard about from Stuart this morning, um, who entered military service in two world wars, many. My father was not press-ganged into the army. Coal miners were exempt from the call-up. He volunteered. Many volunteered to lay down their lives for our freedom, but not precisely with you and me personally in mind. These precious words come from Isaiah again. 49, I can never forget you, says God. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. My soul was on Jesus' heart. The wonder of the gospel is that Christ died for those who far from being his friends hated him. He died for his enemies. So Augustus Toplady, the, the hymn writer, uh, says, I'm a debtor to mercy alone. Of covenant mercy I sing my name from the palm of his hands. Eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. The good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep knows them by name. He knew them by name before the foundation of the earth. How can we respond to such grace? Isaiah 56 answers with these words. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. 
Let the wicked forsake their ways, the unrighteous man their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. Our God will freely pardon. And Isaiah is saying, do it now. Now. And in our passage that we read, now is the accepted time. Verse 2 of chapter 6 of Second Corinthians. Uh, if you... If, if you are saying tomorrow will do when God says now your attitude is unacceptable the document suspending World War I hostilities establishing freedom and peace was signed 96 years ago the 11th hour the 11th month the 11th day of the 11th month, an armistice. But an armistice infinitely greater was established at Calvary 2,000 years ago when Christ made peace for sinners. God was pleased through Christ to reconcile all things on, in heaven and on earth, himself by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross once you were alienated from God enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you to Christ, by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation believe me folks believe the Bible the God of peace does not start wars, cause wars. On the contrary, he makes wars to cease. By his gracious influence, warring humanity will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and men shall train for war no more. God in love took the initiative, approached us in grace. What are the terms? of the armistice, unconditional surrender. Unconditional on, on our part. Forgiveness can be ours by turning with this attitude. God be merciful to me, a sinner. He never withholds forgiveness. Now, I'm almost finished. Um, God knows your evaluation of the Lord Jesus this morning. You say, well, I'm neither for nor against him. Uh, indecision uh, is the safest position to occupy. Is it? Jesus sees it quite differently. This is what he says. If you're not positively with me, you are positively against me. Some who stood around the cross baying for his blood, crucify him. Seven weeks later, were among 3,000 people who had a change of heart and attitude because they heard these bold words from Peter. Listen to this, Peter says. Jesus of Nazareth was a credit to you by miracles, signs, and wonders which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him from the dead. Therefore be assured of this, that God has made this same Jesus Lord and Messiah. 
on this Remembrance Sunday for your encouragement. One day all wars will cease and there will be universal peace. When? When every human knee bows to him and every tongue confesses, acknowledging Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. How does this world view Jesus? Too much as a fallible man and so they so easily just swear. His name is a swear word to so many and it People have the wrong attitude. Pontius Pilate, the crowd, Annas, Caiaphas, Herod. They were all wrong in their evaluation of him. The soldier at the cross guarding Jesus finally got it right. Witnessing all that had happened to Christ. This man was surely the son of God. The first Christian creed three words would you like to see the last word when I say the first two Jesus is Lord that was if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised from raised him from the dead you'll be saved so according to this passage I implore you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God who made him to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him let's pray together